All right. Well, good morning, South Point. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Hope you have a good 4th of July weekend so far. And uh, super excited to be a part of this series today, uh, Summer at South Point. And uh, so I'm really glad to be a part of it. If you've missed any part of this series, I encourage you to hop on our website, listen to the podcast. You can go on Facebook and uh, watch it if you're more of a visual person. I encourage you to do that. But if you've missed any part of this series, and for any of those who have been here for every part, I just want to continue to summarize what this whole series has been about. So you can see it here on the screen. And the whole point of this entire series has been that we want to learn, as a church, we want to learn how to follow the Spirit of God better. We want to learn how to follow God better in our lives. We want to learn how we can better produce the fruit of the Spirit so we can produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control so we can produce these things so that ultimately we can then give them away to others and benefit those around us. We want to produce patience so we can give patience away. We want to produce gentleness so we can give patience or gentleness away. We want to produce love so we can give love away. So that ultimately, by doing so, we can get to where God ultimately wants us to go. Amen? Because what I want to be able to say is that the end of my, Lord willing, my 60, 70, 80, 90, however many years that I live on this earth, I want on my last day to breathe my last knowing that I have done what God wanted me to do, that I've said what He wanted me to say, that I went where He wanted me to go, that I lived and ended up where God wanted me to be. Amen? I think that's a great goal for all of us to be able to have. And so today, as we talk about this series, uh, I want us to talk about something today that I think every single one of us struggle with at some point in time in our lives. This is something that we either currently struggle with, we have struggled with, or we will struggle with at some point in time in our lives. And I hope that we can be able to provide a great response and answer to the struggle that we're going to talk about today. So let's dive into it. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was in seventh grade, I made one of the worst mistakes of my young Life And uh, when you hear it, I hope it doesn't uh, cause anyone to think less of me or anything. But when I was in seventh grade, I went out for cross-country running. Anybody else ever go out for cross-country running? It is not good. At least for me, it wasn't. You know, like I grew up, I grew up playing soccer my whole life. Like from the time I was real young all the way like through high school. So, but what I discovered very quickly in seventh grade is that while I am a real fast short distance runner... I am nowhere near a long-distance runner. There is a big difference between those two things, aren't there? And I can remember coming, leading up to our very first meet. I was in seventh grade, and, uh, you know, I could still run pretty fast. I mean, I could run like an eight-minute mile or so, which maybe isn't bad. I don't know if that is for a seventh grader. I don't know. But I remember coming up to our first meet. And they gave us sort of the process, right? They gave us the routine, the procedure in order to be successful in cross-country running, right? So they told us, okay, you need to make sure and be at practice all the time. You got to make sure and do these runs. And I was like, okay, got it. You know, I'm there. I'm at practice running backwards up hills, you know, and all that crazy stuff that they do. And I thought, okay, check, check, got that off. They said, make sure and have good running shoes. Like, be comfortable. I'm like, cool, check, got that. They said, okay, so the night before the meet, you got to make sure and carb up, right? you got to make sure and eat a lot of spaghetti, eat some lasagna so you get full of carbs and energy so you're ready to go. I'm like, check, got that, man. Fill up on spaghetti, no problem. And then they were like, okay, you got to make sure and, and, and drink lots of fluids the night before so you're hydrated and you're ready to go. Get plenty of rest. I'm like, check, man, I've got this. Like, I'm going to smoke everybody. Like, everybody on the team is going to be like, Michael, where have you been our whole lives? Like, it's going to be amazing. I did everything the way they told me to, right? So we get to the meet the next day, and we run this, we run this two mile. That's it. It's only two miles. But I came in dead last on our team. Dead last, eighth place out of our entire team. Now, there were other kids that were behind me. I'll give myself, I don't have a little bit of pride, okay? But, but dead last 
on our team for the Duncan Cross Country Junior High team. In fact, I was so far behind everybody else that on the last bend coming into the home stretch, like before the finish line, we had all of our junior high cheerleaders on both sides, and they would like cheer everybody as they ran past. I was so far behind that they completely forgot about me. Like, I'm rounding the last bend, and they're all just standing around talking to each other. And I get about halfway through all of them standing on the sides when I hear one of them say, Oh, hey, look, we have one more. Yay! And then they, they start cheering and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, thanks for the confidence boost, ladies. You know, I'm supposed to be here cheering me. You forgot about me. What's up with that? And, you know, the truth is, is, you know, we can laugh about it, and maybe you have some similar experiences like that in your own life. But, you know, I think the truth is, is that oftentimes in our lives, we, are, we think of routine, and we think of rituals, and we think of uh, certain procedures and plans, and we have certain expectations that if we do A, B, C, and D, then it will automatically produce E in our life. And oftentimes I think what we struggle with is we go through life and we realize, okay, if we are as followers of Christ are going to follow the leading of the Spirit in our lives, and we want to follow Him better, then oftentimes... God doesn't really do things in the order that we think they ought to be done, right? We come to God and it's like, hey, we, God, I'll do A, B, C, and D, okay? I'll, I'll come to church, I'll pray, I'll read my Bible, I'll be a part of a point group, and then everything will just be fine in my life. And we think, oh, if I just do things in this right way, then everything will be fine. But sometimes God comes in and He goes, yeah, I know you wanted to start with A, but this Monday morning we're going to jump to X, and that's where we're going to stay for half the day. Then we're going to bounce back to L, then maybe stay for a few hours in R, and then we're going to end the day at Z. We're not even going to mess with A, B, and C today. Anyone else ever experienced a day kind of like that, maybe a year of your life that was kind of like that? Yeah, I think all of us probably have. Because what can inevitably happen in our lives is we can become so committed and we can fall in love with procedures and this certain system of how things are done that we ultimately forget what it was meant to point us toward, which is God, right? We can fall in love with, okay, i got to be at church, i got to do this, i got to pray, read my Bible, and we so focus on it that we can miss the whole point of what it was all about. And so what I want us to understand this morning is this one very simple truth. Look, these things are not bad. The rituals, the routines of our lives, they're not bad things, but they have their place in our lives. And what I want us to understand this morning by the end of this message is this very simple truth. Is that God, you can fill this blank in your notes, is that God wants to put our rituals, our routines, He wants to put them in their place. Second place. Second place to His. Because sometimes God steps in and He says, you know, I know this is what you were expecting. I know this is what you thought was going to happen. But I'm actually going to rearrange some things so that ultimately you can get where I want you to go. And it may not be the same place that you want to go. Are you with me this morning? All right. Well, if you have your mobile devices, pull out your notes. If you have a Bible or something, you can be able to do that. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can do that. And we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, 2 Kings is located about a third of the way through the Old Testament. So uh, when you find it, you can be able to go there. We're going to start in verse 1. Because today, uh, usually I like to provide a little bit of a summary and kind of bring everybody up to speed. But the first few verses of chapter 5 really just sum it up perfectly for us where, where we're going to go. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we're not going to dissect the whole thing. You can do that uh, this week on your own. But we're going to take a portion of this chapter and read it and just kind of unpack it as we walk through it together to see what kind of things we can learn from this man named Naaman. Because the benefit for us this morning is having the scriptures is that we're not the first people to ever have this struggle where God seems to come in and change things up on us. And so I hope that we can find some inspiration from him today. 2 Kings chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is this nation that is north of Israel. It's a very powerful nation. Eventually it would become, uh, I believe it's the Assyrian Empire, would continue to grow and would eventually destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. So this is before certainly all of that takes place. 
But the commander of that army is named Naaman. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. It's an honorable man. Sounds like a good guy. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Iran. So God is literally using this pagan man to carry out his will. Okay? Uh, this some, sometimes feels strange in our lives. Right? Sometimes God allows evil people to do certain things because ultimately he says, hey, look, I've got a bigger plan at place. Okay? I'm bigger than that, and I could be able to carry it out. Okay, let's just keep going. He says, and he ends that verse, and he says, he was a valiant soldier, but, everybody say but, but he had leprosy. Now, in our day and age, leprosy doesn't really seem like that big of a deal, right? I was doing some research, just kind of reading a little bit on like what leprosy does. Uh, and leprosy is actually this bacteria. Uh, maybe if you're a medical person or something, you might be pulling your hair out as I explain this a little bit, but bear with me, all right? So that, like, like it's like this bacteria that gets into your system, and it actually we think of it as like a skin disease, but it actually affects the nervous system where it starts to cause you to go numb in your extremities. And so what eventually happens is you hurt yourself or you injure yourself. You get cuts and things, they become infected, and you don't even know that you've cut yourself. You don't even know it because you can't feel it. And so eventually it's the infections that eventually kill you. And so in our day and age, it's like, hey, you take some simple antibiotics in three to, you know, six months to 12 months, you're completely cured. We've eradicated leprosy in like modern countries today. But in ancient times, when you attracted leprosy, you were not going to walk away from it. It was one of those things that it was just basically signed your death warrant. Like, okay, this is just going to happen. I have to go live alone. You ended your life in isolation so nobody would touch you, so that nobody would contract it. So you ended your life in isolation and very, just not a good situation. That's what's happened to Naaman here. Let's keep going in verse 2. Now bands from Iran, these groups of this military, they'd come out from Iran, had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, I'm sure along with a bunch of others as well. And she served Naaman's wife. So this young girl gets kidnapped from her family. These invaders come in. They take her from her family, possibly kill her family. We don't know. But take her back and then turn her into a slave. Now, let me ask you. If that had happened to you, and you found out that your new master who invaded your country took you from your family, and made you a slave, how do you think you would respond when he ends up having leprosy? Would you mind responding by saying, Oh, judgment. That's what I'm talking about right there. That is justice. That is God carrying out against you. You're going to die now. That's exactly what you deserve. I have to admit, that thought crosses my mind. I might be sitting there going, Okay, hey, this may be just God taking care of you, man. He's getting you out of the picture because you did all this bad stuff. But look how this young lady responds. So, She said to her mistress in verse 3, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Wow! Isn't that incredible? This one young lady that we don't know her name, we don't even know if we ever hear from her ever again except for these two verses that she's in. And yet, she somehow, she kept things in perspective, didn't she? She could have very easily become bitter against Naaman. She could have been angry. She could have gotten all upset. But instead of standing back and saying, well, you're just going to get what you deserve, she steps in and she says, there actually is a way out for him. And here's the way out. Like, there, there's part of me that wants to go, I really want to, I hope that I get to shake this young lady's hand in heaven one day. Because... That's phenomenal. I don't even know if I would respond that way in this type of a situation. So Naaman contracts leprosy. He hears about this prophet in Samaria in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he goes to go get his, find his cure. Let's jump ahead to verse 9. So in verse 9, 
It says, so Naaman went with his horses, his chariots, everything. He's all this pomp and circumstance. I mean, Naaman's this great man. He goes and he shows up at the door of the prophet, or let's see, and, and the chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10. So Elisha sent a messenger. Now circle that, highlight it. I mean, it's like Na- Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He just sends a messenger and says, here you go, go tell him this. We'll come back to that. He says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, knowing what we know about leprosy now, you'd think that he would be ecstatic about that, wouldn't he? Like, man, awesome, like I've been issued this death warrant, and now you're tell- I just got to go and wash in this river a couple of times? Sign me up for that, man, I just got my life back. But that is not how Naaman responds. In fact, as we read this next verse, as we read verse 11, I want you to think and notice Naaman's process that he has in mind. Notice Naaman's procedure, his plan, his expectation that he has, that he's expecting this God that he doesn't even serve to carry out, to get what he wants. Okay? Verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me that he would stand, in other words, that he would come out and show me the respect that I am due. I'm the commander of this army from Iran. I could come in and wipe all of you out. I thought for sure he'd at least come out and stand in front of me to show me the respect and dignity that I'm due. And he continues and he says, I thought for sure he'd do that, that he would call on the name of the Lord his God, not my God or our God, but the Lord his God, that he would wave his hand over the spot. That's the part that always cracks me up. Like Naaman's got this all worked out, right? He'd wave his hand over the spot, and then I would be cured from my leprosy. This, this goes completely against what God tells him to do. It's completely not what Naaman expected at all. And then on top of that, Naaman does what you and I do all the time which is when we're following the Spirit of God and God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the plan. Here's what I'm laying out for you. Here's what I want you to go. Here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to do. We start saying, yeah, but can we modify that a little bit? Like, God, I mean, there's got to be some other things that we could do to make that solution a little bit better. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Like, you want me to go and Bathe in this nasty, like, believe me, I've been to the Jordan River twice. It is not pretty, okay? It's not like going to, like, the Great Lakes or Cozumel or something. It's nasty, dirty, okay? And can I go to one of these other ones? He says, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Like, Naaman is so angry. Why? Because God has not met Naaman's expectations. He has changed things up to say, you know what, this may be your plan, Naaman, but I'm going to change it to do something else because I have something else in mind for you. This is kind of like whenever we come to God and we say things like, well, God, you know how much of a financial difficulty I'm in. You know how much of a financial struggle that we're facing in our lives right now, God. And, and I expected that I could come to you and I could pray and call on the name of the Lord my God. You just wave your hand and like a check from a rich Christian would come to me in the mail saying, Hey, God told me to send you this check. And so, God, that's what I was expecting. But instead, you want me to embrace financial discipline? Like you actually want me to budget? The finances that I have coming in. You want me to be generous and give of my finances? Like, God, that is not what I was expecting. I was expecting this, and you're telling me to do that, and I don't want to do that. Or we say things like, well, God, my spouse just does not love me the way that I want to be loved. 
They, they don't appreciate what I do around the house. They don't appreciate what I do for our family. They don't love me. They don't, they don't show me. I give them all this love and compassion, and, and they don't return it to me at all. And I thought for sure that all I had to do was pray, and you would change his heart. I thought for sure all I had to do was pray, and you would change her, God. But you want me instead to submit to their needs? You want me to put their needs ahead of my own and to show unconditional love to them even if I don't receive it in return? God, that is not what I was expecting. Or we have experiences like where we say, well, God, you know how much that person at work drives me insane. God, you know that I can't stand that person. They treat me this way. They say this. And I thought for sure all I had to do was pray and say, God, open up this new way and you would give me a new job that would actually be a pay increase that would surround me with Christians who would encourage me because by golly, I'm the head and not the tail, right? I'm blessed going in and blessed going out and and that's what should happen, God. But instead, you want to keep me where I'm at. You want me to be a witness to them. You want me to show love and compassion and generosity to them. God, you want me to actually invite them to church? Are you kidding me? You want me to invite them to church? I can't even stand working with them, God. Or maybe we say things like, well, God, it's all their fault. It's all, it's all their fault, God. It's not my fault. God, they're the ones that treated me this way. They're the ones that said this behind my back. They're the ones that betrayed me. They're the ones that posted about this on social media to me. They're the ones that did this. They're the ones that said, now sure, I could have done things a little bit differently. I mean, sure, I could have not said this thing that kind of made them mad. And sure, I could have. But God, that's nothing because all of it rests on their side of the aisle. And God, but, but, and even, God, I have five or six of my friends that I've told and they all agree that I don't need to go and apologize to them. But that's what you're calling me to do. God, I thought for sure that I would just pray and you would change that person and they would come to me like groveling saying they were so sorry but God now you want me to go and apologize for this one little thing that I did when they should be the ones coming to me? See we experience this all the time don't we? We experience God taking our plans and our expectations and our routines and what we expect to happen and He just like turns it upside down on its head so that I think He can take us down these pathways in life that we didn't even know were there so that ultimately He can take us to a place with Him that we never even could have imagined being with Him. Are you with me this morning? See, God has this way of saying, no, 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 no. You might have come with your expectations. You might have come with your plans. But I am not restricted to fall in line with your expectations and your plans. It is more your responsibility to fall in line with mine. And that's difficult. And that's why it's so easy for us to walk away in a rage, just like Naaman. Like we look at this situation with Naaman and as outsiders. We're reading it. Maybe you already know the end of the story. And we're sitting there going, come on, Naaman. Like, come on, all you got to do is go down and wash in the river. Like, what's the problem with that? That's what God, just because he didn't meet your expectations? Come on, man, go wash and be cleansed. You'd have your life back. And yet, all the time in our lives, whether it's big things or little things in our lives, we miss it in our own lives, even though we can easily identify it in others. But you know what? We don't have to be afraid when God lays out his plans and his expectations for us. And when they change and when he turns ours upside down because our Father is a Heavenly Father that loves you, who cares for you, and that God can be able to take all these strange situations that don't really seem to line up and somehow in His power and His beauty and wonder He can make all things come together perfectly for your good and for my good. And so we can choose to trust that what God speaks to us and calls us and leads us to do by His Spirit, we can trust that it will be for our good. Amen? So let's keep going. Let's look at what happens to Naaman here. Verse 13. So Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, 
I love that they call him father. I think that kind of testifies a little bit to Naaman's character. He's this valiant, honorable man. So he has these servants that come to him and they treat him like he's their father. Maybe that's one reason why the young lady was able to, willing to help him. But they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? Now, I absolutely love this verse because this is one of those verses that I think illustrates perfectly why one of our core values at South Point is community and why we encourage you over and over almost on a weekly basis to get plugged into a small group, a point group, because every single one of us needs someone in our lives like this servant. Somebody who knows us, somebody who's in relationship with us, somebody who can speak into our life, somebody who knows what's going on in the situations that we've talked about and expressed. And so when they see that we're going down our own path rather than the path God wants, they can speak into our life and say, hey, what are you doing? I mean, if God is calling you to do this, then go do it. Stop going down that way. That way leads to death. Go down this way. God's way leads to life. So why are you doing this? We all need someone like that in our lives who can speak to our lives, who can encourage us and say, come on, let's, you know what God is calling you to do. Can't you please do that for your life and for the other people that you may touch along the way? So here we go, verse 15, or verse 14, sorry. So Naaman, he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. He humbles himself. He trusts God and he goes and dips seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored And became clean like that of a young boy. Verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him. So he's actually seeing Elisha face to face now. I don't think that's any consequence. He stands before him and he stood before him and he said, Now I know. Everybody say, I know. Now I know that there is no God in all the world but the God of Israel. You know what's profound? Now look, I, I, I'm thinking about this passage. This is just my own commentary on this passage. It's not in the text. It's not anywhere else. But this is just, uh, you can take it or leave it for whatever it's worth. But in my own thinking about this passage and in the verses that we've seen, even from the servants, I think that God in His omniscience, in His, in His all knowledge of knowing what would happen, could happen, whatever will, won't, all these things, God's knowledge of what will or could happen or possibly happen, I think in his omniscience, God knew that if he had told Naaman to go do some great thing, hey, Naaman, I want you to go climb Mount Everest, plant a flag that says God written on it, and then you'll be healed. I think that God knew that if he had told Naaman to do that, then Naaman would come down off the mountain, and people could say, well, Naaman, how did you get healed? That's amazing. He'd say, well, it's because I climbed that mountain over there. Look what I did. I did this great thing, and I earned this. And I think that God in His, in his knowledge of that said, you know what, I'm not going to have Naaman do some great thing. Instead, I'm going to give him some easy, strange little thing that will cause him to have to trust me and will, ha- he will cause him to have to submit and humble and surrender and put aside his pride so that ultimately when he is healed, no one can receive the glory except for God. That's what I think. And I think the same thing happens in our lives all the time, doesn't it? Like sometimes God calls us to do these really weird things. All throughout the scriptures, God seems to just blow up people's expectations and plans so that ultimately they can say, yeah, and, yeah, and if, and if this, you would have done this really great thing, then you could have taken credit. You, you could have said, man, I'm so smart. I'm so, I'm so, I know this. I, I'm so financially savvy. I know how to do this. I'm a great business person. I, I'm great. I can weave through this and that. Look what I did. And God says, no, that's not what I want for you. 
I'm going to lead you down a path so that at the end of the road and at the end of the day, you can ultimately say only God was able to do this. And so as we look at this, what I think is encouraging for us is that God, I think, is working in Naaman's life. And I think he does the same thing in our lives, that God was working in Naaman's life because he's trying to tell him, listen, Naaman, the place that I ultimately want you to get to is a place that's far greater and far above than anything you originally asked me to do. You were coming here to ask me for healing, Naaman, but now I am taking you to a place where not only are you healed, but you also know that there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. And what you and I have to understand this morning is that there is more to your story than that one thing that you're praying about. There is more to your story than the burden that you walked in here with. There is more to your story because God is trying to take you through the struggles and trials of life. He's trying to take you to this place with Him that you may not have ever even seen or imagined, but a place so that at the end of the day you can say, God, only you did it. God, only you are God. There's no one else, and I know it. I'm not just guessing. I'm not just like basing it on a feeling of how I feel for the day. But God, I know so that no matter how I feel on Monday morning, no matter how I feel on Friday night or Saturday morning, I know that there is no God in all the world but you. There's a big difference in those experiences in our lives, isn't it? But you and I have a choice. We have a choice, just like Naaman did. We always seem to have a choice. God always gives us a choice. Like even when you think about Moses at the end of Moses' life, And Joshua, at the end of his life, when he comes to the people of Israel, they give a choice. They say, okay, do you want to follow God's commands or do you not? Joshua comes to the people of Israel and he says, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. That's what God does with us. He says, look, you can take your own plans and you can take your expectations and you can try to hold on to them and you can continue down this road that leads to death or you can embrace my way and it will lead you to life that you didn't even know was possible. I don't know about you, but that's the choice that I want to make. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you five quick things, five practical things that I think you can be able to walk out the doors with today that not only come from this message today, but I think are kind of a summary that help us as we kind of reach this half point, this halfway point through this entire series. So five things that I want to be able to give you that you can be able to write down in your notes. Number one is this. Number one is this. That failure is largely self-inflicted and recovery is largely within your own control. Failure, the difficulties of life, sometimes these things, they are largely self-inflicted. Now, I understand that sometimes things happen to us that we can't control. Don't worry, table that. We'll get to that in just a minute, okay? I'm specifically talking about how many of the struggles in our lives, many of the difficulties that we get in, we're in them because of choices that we've made. Whether they were good choices or bad choices, but we made a choice, it led to this, and now we're stuck in this situation, right? But we also have to remember that getting out of those things also becomes a choice. You can choose to say, God, I'm not going to allow this thing to define me. I'm not going to allow this failure to hold me down. Yes, God, I may have leprosy, but I'm going to make a choice to engage your spirit to say, God, what is it that you want me to do so that I can ultimately go and be who you want me to be in this life? Number two. Number two is the path to recovery lies in returning to basic practices. Maybe you're here today and, and you're saying, you know, Michael, I feel like I'm, I'm following God's spirit, but, but I don't have any clear direction right now. Maybe that's you today. You say, you say I, I don't have something clear like Naaman did. Like Naaman, he knew what he had to do. Like, okay, go. Go to the Jordan River. Bathe seven times. Come out. You'll be cleansed. Like, I don't have clear direction right there, but I know that God is leading me somewhere. What, what do I need to do? My challenge to you is that you return to some basic practices. Maybe you're already engaged in them, but, but lean into them even more. Let me, let me tell you something. The, 
going to church, reading your Bible, praying, you know, getting involved in a small group. Like these are things that I used to, when we used to joke when I was a kid, when I was growing up in like youth group stuff, these were like Sunday school answers is what we called them, right? But you know, there's Sunday school answers to a lot of things. If you want to have a successful marriage, what are some of the things that you need to do? Well, you, you probably need to spend some time together, right? You, you need to communicate with each other. Maybe go on a date every now and then. Spend some special time together, right? Maybe, maybe it's not even spending money. Like my parents, when I was growing up, we were very poor. And so my parents would have a friend come over, a family member watch us. And my parents would just go walk around a park. That was their date night because they couldn't afford anything. And then maybe I would say, fourthly, you need to submit and put that other person's needs ahead of your own, right? I mean, if you do those four things, that sounds like a pretty good marriage, doesn't it? What do you think marriages and people had to do a thousand years ago to have a successful marriage or 5,000 or 10,000 or whatever, how many years ago we started having marriage? Think about that. They probably spent time together, communicated with each other, spent some special time together and put the other person's needs ahead of their own, right? Basic practices really don't change all that much. And while yes, it's true that sometimes going to church, praying, reading your Bible, all these things can, sometimes we can become so devoted to them that we miss the whole point, which is God. But if you're here today, that may be the starting place for you. That may be the point where you say, I know God is speaking and leading, but I just don't have any clear-cut direction. Engage and lean into those things and say, God, through this path, may you lead me until you direct me to what you're calling me to do. Number three. Number three is that we are not imprisoned by our circumstances. We are not imprisoned by our circumstances. We live in a culture today that seems to just be rampant with the idea that I just need, need to and should and could put blame on everything and everyone else. Well, it's the government's fault. Well, it's the president's fault. Well, it's the Congress's fault. Well, it's my mom's fault. Well, my dad did this to me. Well, my mom said that. My grandparents treated me this way. My, my boss is this way. My finances are this way. I can't control that and I can't control that. You know what? There's lots of things in your life that you may not be able to control, but you don't have to let those things control you. You may not be able to control them, but you don't have to let them control you. Because in every single one of these circumstances, you can walk away and say, God, I want to change the way that I think about these things so that I'm not letting these things that I can't control imprison me, but I am rather seeing them as opportunities to grow. That this situation affords me the opportunity to be gracious. This, this is an opportunity that affords me the opportunity to be patient, to be kind, to demonstrate love, to forgive as I have been forgiven, to show grace as I have received grace. This affords me the opportunity. So there's a big difference in those two mentalities, isn't it? And you can choose to walk through life and choose to be imprisoned by your circumstances just like Naaman could have. Naaman could have just gone through and said, well, this is just my lot in life. I couldn't control the leprosy, so it just happened to me. So I guess I'll just wander off and continue to go do whatever it is. I don't like God's option. I don't like God's ex uh, his explanation. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Or you can choose to say, no, 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 I'm not going to allow my circumstances to imprison me. I'm going to embrace the leading of the Spirit. Number four. Number four is be willing to embrace difficulty. Be willing to embrace difficulty. We have this tendency, I think, and it's natural for us as human beings that we shun pain. We shun difficulty. We don't want to have anything to do with hardship. And I don't, I don't blame any one of us. I'm that way. I don't like to go through hardship. I don't like difficulties. Of course not. I want my life to be peachy king all the time, right? I want it to be great. I want to be flying sky high all the time. But you know what? We never grow that way, do we? I love what C.S. Lewis said when, when he, he wrote um, a number a long time ago. He said, God 
whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God may very well be causing things or allowing things to take place in your life in order to rouse you, in order to wake you up, in order to spark something in your life that will lead you down a path that you would have never gone down. Be willing to embrace difficulty in your life. Number five. Number five is failure is not a physical state, but a state of mind. Failure is not a physical state, but a state of mind. You're not going to walk out those doors today and trip over a big pile of failure. You're not going to go to work tomorrow and step into a big pit of sin, right? But I'm going to tell you this. As we go through life and we experience mistakes and we experience difficulties, we can stumble and fall sometimes in our lives. And we can choose to either stay down or we can choose to get back up and have the mentality that says, yeah, I made a mistake and I stumbled, I failed, but you know what? I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep right on going. Yes, I stumbled and I fell again, but I'm going to get back up again and I'm going to keep going. I have predetermined that nothing is going to keep me down. I've, I have predetermined that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what mistakes I make, no matter what failures I engage in, whether things happen to me like Naaman or I make bad choices in my life and I experience difficulties because of what I chose to do. Either way, I'm going to choose to keep getting getting back up and continue to keep moving forward so that ultimately by following the Spirit of God, I will be who God wanted me to be. I will do what God wanted me to do so that I end up where God wanted me to end up at the end of my life. That, I think, is a great goal for our lives. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? In just a moment, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward as I as I pray today. I'm going to ask them to come and stand on each side. And, and maybe you're here today and you would say, Michael, this is, this is exactly where I'm at. I know that God is speaking to me. I know that God is leading me, but I haven't really been answering it. I haven't really been engaging it. God's been speaking this to me and that. And the Spirit of God's leading me, but I'm hesitant because it's not what I expected. It's sort of it's not what I had planned. I want to challenge you today to take a bold step, to take a step today just like Naaman did. You know, Naaman could have stayed home and he could have said, well, that's just too far. Samaria's too far away. I'm, I'm not willing to go that far. But he did. He took a step and he stepped out. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same if you'd be willing to. We'll have prayer members down here at the front and I encourage you, when they begin to sing, step up from where you're at. Find someone to pray with. Even if it's not a person at the front, I'd encourage you this. Maybe it's your spouse sitting next to you. Maybe it's a friend that you visited with today. Maybe it's, it's a friend that's sitting next to you. Maybe it's a family member. But maybe if there's something you need to pray about in your life, grab their hand or just tell them, hey, would you mind praying with me? There's this, we need to pray about this. Pray, pray about this with me in my life. So as they are about to sing, I want you to engage this morning. If maybe today you're sitting here going, Michael, I'm, I feel like I'm following the Spirit of God in my life. Everything's going great. Like, man, it, it's, it's fantastic. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Take a moment and don't get too hurry this morning. Don't get in a hurry too much. Spend a moment there alone, just you and God, and just work some things out maybe and say, God, I want to commit fresh to you. I want to surrender all over again to you. I want to stay fresh and open to your Spirit and where you want to lead me and where you want to guide me in my life. Let's pray. And let's ask God to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God 
And I thank you that we can know that you are God, that there is no God but you. And so, Lord, I pray today that we lean in to your presence, that we lean into the leading of your spirit in our lives, that, God, we would listen and we would be open, that our hearts and minds would be open to you, knowing that, God, your solutions are always the best solutions because they're the right solutions and they're the most enduring solutions. No matter what difficulties we're facing in our lives, no matter what situations we may be facing, maybe it's like Naaman and it's something that's happened to us. Maybe it's something that by our own choices we've fallen into. God, I pray that today we would choose to not allow those things things to imprison us, to not allow those things to define us, but as children of the Most High God, we would rise up in the power of your Spirit and that we would move forward in our lives to be who you've called us to be, that we don't allow these things to define us, but we allow you, our Heavenly Father, who loves us, who sent his only Son to die for us, who graciously forgives us and washes our sin away. Lord, may you be the one that defines us, not our circumstances, not the people around us, but you. I pray today that we would step out towards you today as you have already taken a step towards us. And may we be changed and may we be challenged by your spirit today. Lord, we ask these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus.